for the reading of God's word. My mic could be turned down at least on the speakers up here just a hair. That'd be appreciated. Thank you. John 4. We'll read from verse 31 down through verse 38. And uh, as we do each week, we'll read responsibly. I'll begin in 31, and then we'll begin together in 32 and read down through verse number 38. Here we find Jesus. He had just led the woman at the well to the Lord. She had just put her faith in Jesus in him to save her. She had just drank of the living water, to use the analogy of the passage here. And Jesus' disciples are making their way back to him. We'll pick up the story there in verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is the saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, and whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. The title of the sermon this morning is just very simply this, White unto Harvest. White unto Harvest. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us today to understand the message. And Lord, uh, may uh, it make sense. And help us, Lord, to grow. Uh, from your word, Lord, I pray that our perspectives would be where your perspective is. That, Lord, our heartbeat would be with you. And, Lord, that we would learn to love the things that you love. And that, that we would grow in those ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. White unto harvest. We may want to fix the screen back there, Brother Jared. If you can, fix that title. It's, instead of while, make it white. White unto harvest. 2004. 2004, God called Michael Peslak uh, to come be this church's second pastor. He'd be here for 12 years. Uh, He packed up his family and he moved here all the way from Japan. No, the name Peslak is not a Japanese name. For those of you that aren't around, weren't around when he was the pastor, um, he was born and raised in Bridgeport, uh, met his wife while in Bible college. And they uh, went to Japan to be missionaries uh, to the men in uniform right outside the base there. And he served there for many, many years with a heart for missions. Um, He had no intentions of coming back to America and pastoring. uh, But um, God worked in his heart. And um, the next thing you knew, he was packing up his stuff and his family and bringing his small children here. I believe the story I heard was that he arrived here right before he he had his installation service. And I think the first service his children were in church, they laid on the pew and slept. Because they had just come all the way from Japan and they were exhausted. Um, When he got here, he came with a passion to reap a harvest of souls through this church's ministry. And boy, he sure did a lot of work to make that happen. White Oak Baptist Church was already harvesting souls for the kingdom, but he came with a renewed passion, as many new pastors do. And he came in and worked hard to see that this church was not just reaching souls 
in a few ways, but that those ways would be multiplied and increased. He came in and he implemented the bus ministry. He bought buses and he uh, preached on that and emphasized that. And at one point, this church ran multiple buses and saw uh, close to 100 boys and girls and men and women and teenagers coming in on those buses. Heaven will tell us the eternal ramifications from the bus ministry of White Oak Baptist Church. Um, hundreds of people saved. Generations affected by, uh, through that ministry. Because he had a heart and a mission to look out in Stratford and Bridgeport and see a harvest of souls. And say, those people need Jesus. Not only did he implement the bus ministry, he implemented an addictions ministry at this church. And many folks who struggled with addictions have been greatly helped. Some of those folks are sitting in this room right now. And had it not been for God using Michael Peslak uh, in that way to get that ministry up and going, there are drug addicts that are not in church today that would be dead right now. There are others who are here today who are no longer addicted to substances that they were. God changed them and God helped them, uh, but Michael Peslak was the man that God used to get those things up and going. Not only did he implement a bus ministry and implement an addictions ministry, but he also beefed up the Saturday soul winning ministry here. And he made soul winning an even bigger deal than it already was. And what, is it, what does it mean to be a soul winner? If you're new to a Baptist church world, you may not know what that term means, but it's the idea of taking the good news of Jesus Christ and confronting someone and saying, hey, do you know that you are going to go to heaven when you die? And then taking that person's answer and walking them through the scriptures and persuading someone that they need to put their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them. And through uh, the efforts of Pastor Peslak, that ministry grew and hundreds, if not thousands of people during the 12 years he pastored here were saved under his leadership through the soul winning ministry. Uh, but maybe uh, uh, even beyond that, maybe the ministry he beefed up and made strong that will heaven will show to be the greatest volume was the missions program at our church. Now, make no mistake about it, I'm talking about this and preaching this sermon today because next week kicks off our missions um, uh, a conference and I want to make sure that to you today, sitting here in the pew, uh, each and every one of you understand how very important and how vital next week's conference is. This isn't just something that you should take a pass on or uh, a pass on as a preference. No, this conference coming up next week is a big Big deal because of what it represents. When I got here as the pastor, White Oak Baptist Church, or shortly, rather, rather shortly before I arrived here as the pastor, White Oak Baptist Church was supporting 81 missionaries. Now, to give you an idea, I've been parts of churches that ran several hundred. I've been parts of churches that ran in the thousands that didn't support 30 missionaries. For a church that runs a couple of hundred folks, to support 81 missionaries. We're at 57 now. But 81 missionaries is absolutely remarkable. Now you say, well, why is that so important? Why is it important to have a strong missions program? Um, we see the need of the gospel here in this town. But what we don't see is the need for the gospel on the other side of the globe.
It's not before us. America's population, I believe, is somewhere in the 300 million range. Is that right? Seven billion people live in the world. Now, I do believe that America needs the gospel. And I've committed my life to preaching the gospel and lifting up Christ here in Stratford and and being a beacon of of gospel preaching and and gospel giving uh, here in the U.S. But I've got to tell you, America has been blessed beyond measure with the gospel. We have heard it and heard it and heard it. And I don't remember who it was, but there was a missionary who said, should anyone hear twice until everyone has heard once? And I think that's a valid question. Boy, the gospel has been preached and given out in crusades and, and, and things from Billy Graham and others uh, all over this country. And we're rich in the gospel. Now, I'd say most folks in America don't have a good understanding of the gospel, but it isn't because they can't get their hands on it. And it isn't because they haven't had their share of opportunities. But there are people around the world, they need the gospel, and our church is fortunate enough through your giving and faithfulness to the Lord to send out $5,700 every month to 57 different missionaries. And those missionaries uh, go abroad and give the gospel of Jesus Christ in some very dark, dark places and give it to folks who are ripe and ready to hear the gospel. In White Oak Baptist Church, I have to say that heaven will show the millions, let me say that again, the millions of people that will be in heaven because of the 57 missionaries that we support and the many, many missionaries prior to this time that we've supported. Uh, uh, Eternity will be altered for millions and millions of people. What an important uh, 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 avenue. What an important ministry our missions is. You know the phrase, out of sight, out of mind. You put that money in the plate. Today, I dropped my offering in the plate and uh, uh, Angel and I uh, earmarked some of that money to go to the missions program. And through my years of being a Christian, both before I was married and now married, I and now we have given hundreds and thousands and thousands of dollars to the mission field. And you know what? I have no idea on this side of eternity uh, what that money is going to do to help uh, uh, souls be saved. But heaven one day, I think God is going to pull back the curtain and say, you see all these people right here? They are in heaven because you gave to send the gospel around the globe and how very important that is. In much of the world today, the greatest need is not for a meal or for a doctor, but rather it is the condition of their lost eternal soul. In the 1040 window, and if you don't know what that means, the longitude latitude of 1040 would basically be where the Middle East is. And and that strip along that going around uh, that part of the globe, the 1040 window where most of the world lives, the truth is a large majority of those people have never even heard the name of Jesus before. If they've heard the name of Jesus, they've heard it as a byword or a curse word. They don't know who He is or what He did. They don't even know. Now, let that settle in for a minute. I don't think there's an American adult you could go to and and say, who was Jesus, and they wouldn't know. I don't think there is. But for billions of people on the other side of the globe, they don't even know who Jesus is or when He lived or what He did. And my friend, they are religious in their own way, but their souls are wretched. 
even here within the borders of our own country where Christianity once thrived, and I did say once thrived, today humanism, or the worship of humans, the worship of man, has greatly outpaced Christianity. You're to pick up the phone and do a survey and call a thousand homes and ask them what religion they identify with. What would you guess? Seven or eight out of out of ten, seven or eight, seven hundred to eight hundred of those people would say that they're a Christian. Then you start asking questions. Are you faithful to church? Are you involved at church? How often do you read the Bible? How often do you spend at least 15 minutes in prayer? All of a sudden, we go from being a country that's Christian in name only to being rather humanistic, aren't we? Many folks are under the false belief that either their good works or their religious deeds will somehow get them to heaven. Turn over to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Hold your place in John 4. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Many of these people are labeled moral, but that morality they're leaning on to get them to heaven makes them misinformed and headed for a place of great misery. What's the old phrase that's been around forever? The road to hell is paved with what? Good intentions, isn't it? Well, yeah, you know, I take care of my neighbor and I'm friendly and I put money in the plate at church and I've been baptized as a baby and, and they make this law and, 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 or, or I grew up in this religion. I don't care if it's Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, uh, Muslim, Buddha. Listen, if you put your uh, Pentecostal, if you're putting your uh, weight on a religious denominational title to get you into heaven, you are going to split hell wide open. And that includes Baptist. Being a Baptist has gotten nobody to heaven. You say, well, I don't, I'm not denominational, I'm just spiritual. Okay, being spiritual will get you to hell too. You can be in touch with being spiritual and the spiritual side of you and not be saved. How does the person get to heaven? It isn't by going to church or attaching yourself to a group or raising a good family or being faithful to a good marriage. None of those things get you to heaven. And while you ought to do all those things, one thing alone gets you to heaven. And that's you putting the full weight of your faith in Jesus Christ who lived, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead. That's it. That's it. One sin will send somebody to hell and only one sin. And that's the sin of unbelief. That's it. God is going to send people to hell one day because of their unbelief. What is unbelief? It's a refusal to put your weight, your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. And how can the world know that truth if they don't hear? Romans 10 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they be saved if they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Hey, somebody's got to go out there and tell them. And uh, look at uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus here is getting ready to ascend up to heaven. He's talking to His disciples there and uh, the, the, the 500 or so that were gathered. And He says this to them, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto Me. And look where? Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Okay, That's the city right next to Him. All of Judea would be the region or the state. And then He points to the side of town that they didn't care for, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I've explained this this way before, but I think it bears repeating for this sermon. I imagine Jesus is standing on an elevated plain outside of Jerusalem. And He's got His disciples there. He's getting ready to ascend up to heaven, uh, to go be at the right hand of His Father. And He tells His disciples, He says, I want you... 
to go get the Holy Spirit is going to come down on you. And then you're going to go be witnesses. He says, I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem. And they all stand there and they go, those are our brethren. Yes, we can do that. Then he points abroad and he says, not only Jerusalem, but I want you to take the message of salvation to all of Judea. And they say, those are also our brethren. We can do that. And then Jesus points to Samaria and he says, oh, and I want you to take it to Samaria. Well, who were the Samaritans? The Samaritans were half Assyrian and half Jew. If you know much about Jewish folks, they're pretty racist people. Especially back then, they were racist people. They had no problem taking the gospel to people who were like them. But those Samaritans, listen, and we'll, we'll get more of this in a minute, but the Jews would travel around Samaria, extend their journey by a couple of days, just so they wouldn't have to interact with them and support their economic businesses. He says, I want you to take the gospel to them. And I can see the disciples swallowing real hard. Okay, we'll take it to the Samaritans. And then he said, and I also want you to take it to the uttermost part of the earth. What? You want us to take the message of salvation to those Gentile dogs? Yep, I want you to give the gospel to them as well. Jesus today has given us the same command. Oh yes, people in Stratford need the gospel. Oh, yes, the people at your job in Norwalk or Greenwich or New York City, some of you that work out there, or New Haven or Bridgeport or Shelton or Stratford or Milford or Orange, wherever it is you work. Yes, they need the gospel. That's true. And you need to share it with those who are your neighbors and your co-workers and, and, and abroad. But, but you know what? Not only do they need it here, they need it across the state. They need it in the part of town that you're not comfortable going to. And they need it across the globe. So the question is raised, how do I get give the gospel to somebody in Stratford and also give the gospel to someone who lives in Somalia or China or Mongolia or Brazil or Chile or Peru or Mexico or or Africa. How do I give the gospel to all those places at the same time? I go in person where I can and I give where I can't. That's how it's done. You know why? Because there is a harvest of souls that's waiting to be gathered. Back in John chapter 4, where we began this morning, Jesus told his disciples, he said, Look, but look with spiritual eyes. Look out into the field of humanity. The field of humanity, it is white already unto harvest. In a few minutes, we'll get into what Jesus meant by that phrase. But in summary, here's what he meant. People need the gospel. People need the gospel. The world is dying from the cancer of sin, and the anecdote or the cure is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's what I have found, is that people are hungry for the truth. Not some version of somebody's truth. The truth. Are we all on the same page that the truth is absolute this morning? Truth is not this ambiguous gray area where my truth could be different than your truth, but as long as you found your truth, we're okay. Okay, You're, You have a pastor who is not Oprah Winfrey. Okay, I'm picking on Oprah this morning. None of this my truth stuff. All right, um, The truth. What is the truth? Well, the better question is, who is the truth? And Jesus said, I am, in John 14, 6, in part, he said, I am the truth. The truth. People need the truth. People are hungry for the truth. You know, the, tr- the, the honest 
answer is that people aren't looking for some crazy philosophy. They're just looking to be set free by the truth. People want to have a true relationship with a God that made them. I believe the field is ready to be reaped. Souls are ready to be gathered for the kingdom of heaven. The question isn't, are the souls ready? The question is, are we going to leave the comfort of the Father's house and go out in the field and do the work of reaping the harvest? I propose that if we could look at the world through the lens of Christ's desire, pick up the binoculars of Christ's desire, put on the frames, put on the spectacles that help us see what Christ wants and His desire, what we would see around us is the eternal souls of mankind. We would look at people with pity and not pride. We would look with love and not lust. We would look with compassion, not criticism. We would look with urgency and not unconcern. Jesus stood outside of the, uh, stood on the outskirts of town with his disciples prior to being crucified just a few days before he would ride in on the donkey that Palm Sunday. And he looked out on Jerusalem and he saw people going about their business. He saw people in their commercial affairs. He saw folks headed to work and hustling here and there, and he looked down and I believe a tear escaped his eye and ran down his cheek, and I believe maybe John would have come up around him and put his hand on his shoulder and said, "Uh, Messiah, are you okay? And he said, I would gather you as a hen uh, uh, does her her, her babies, but you don't want me. And he said, he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd, and a tear ran down his cheek, and he saw that they were broken and lost. He had compassion. He didn't see people who are skinny or or not skinny. He didn't see people who are tall or short or ugly or pretty. He saw right through the veneer. He saw into the souls of mankind. And he saw they need the Savior. He saw a field that was white unto harvest. We're going to look at this story in John 4 this morning. And we're going to look at five truths about this topic, white on the harvest. On the back of your bulletin there, there is an outline, uh, some lines you can fill out. I'd encourage you to take notes and go back and meditate on the message later. Notice number one this morning, preoccupation. Preoccupation. Look at John chapter 4. We'll get to verse 31 in just a minute. Jesus and his disciples were making their way north. They just attended the first Passover supper of Jesus' ministry, and he's heading from Jerusalem north uh, to Galilee, the beginning of John 4 tells us. And John 4, 4 says he must needs go through Samaria. I mentioned earlier that others would travel around Samaria because they didn't like the Samaritans. They weren't going to stay in their hotels or eat in their restaurants or support them in any economical way. They weren't going to interact with them or have anything to do with them. They were ashamed of the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. And so they would travel around the region of Samaria to avoid them whatsoever. You say, well, does that kind of thing happen today? I think it does. I think there are folks who uh, are wealthy and well-to-do and they look down the end of their nose at people who live in Bridgeport or any inner city New Haven and they say, I'm not going down there. I, if I go down there, I'm going to roll up my windows and lock my doors and I'm not supporting any of their, any of their businesses. And, and shame on you if you behave that way. Jesus loves them too. And, and, and Jesus would have gone right into Bridgeport, not run from it, right into inner city New Haven, not run from it. And I bet his disciples were a little uncomfortable traveling into Samaria, the other side of the tracks, if you will. But John 4, 4 says he must needs go through Samaria. They arrived at a well. And when they got to the well, that was the water source for the city. Jesus said, I'm tired. I need to rest. I'm going to stay here. His disciples were not thinking about people's spiritual conditions. They were thinking about their stomachs. 
And so they headed off to find the nearest McDonald's. Off to McDonald's they went and Jesus sat by the well. And a few minutes later, a lady came out in the heat of the day. Now I've heard some speculate why she would have come in the heat of the day. You see, most people carrying that heavy water pot, they weren't going to come out in the heat of the day. They were going to go in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. But she came out in the heat of the day to get her water. And we find out later that this is a woman who is probably the source or the center of much gossip in town. And uh, she came out probably to avoid the ridicule and the, and the picking and, and things of the other ladies. But she came out to get her water. It was just Jesus and this lady. Men didn't talk to women much during that time. Uh, 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 Jewish men definitely didn't talk to Samaritan women. But Jesus looks at her and he says, I'm thirsty, woman. Get me some water. And she looked at him and says, are you a Jew speaking to me, a Samaritan? And, and he said, uh, well, I don't have anything to draw water with. Get me some water. And so the lady reached down and got him water. And he said, he said to her, he said, if you knew the water I had to give you, I wouldn't be asking you for water. You would be asking me for water. And she said, but sir, you don't even have anything to draw water out with. He said, this water will quench your temporary thirst, your physical thirst. The water I want to give you will heal your eternal thirst. You drink this water and you'll never thirst again. And he said, whoa, water that will never make me thirst again? Give me some right now. I mean, that would be like going to a gas station, filling up and your needle staying on the F forever. Can you imagine? I want that gas station, right? And, and, and he said, the, the, the water I'm giving you is a metaphor. This will quench the thirst of your soul. And so then she branched into some religious discussion with him. And he answered her religious questions. And then he looked at her and he said, go and get your husband. And she dropped her head and said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now, you're not even married to. And Jesus Named her sin, but did not condemn her. The lady said, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. She left her water pot and she went running into the city. Well, she's in the city and she's telling everybody that she has found the Messiah. And here come the disciples. They come wandering back in. And they've got a McDonald's bag in hand. You didn't know McDonald's was around back in Jesus' day, did you? And inside that bag, they had a Big Mac and a quarter pounder with cheese for the Messiah. And they're trying to give Jesus this food. Look at verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said his disciples unto him, unto one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Did someone else bring him some food while we weren't here? I bet by the third year of walking with Jesus, the disciples figured out that Jesus loved to talk in metaphors. He loved to take what they were saying and spiritualize it. Jesus was tending, dealing with, helping the eternal... And all that these disciples could think about were their stomachs. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Now, the reason why they weren't there to give this woman at the well the gospel, the reason why they probably didn't lead the cashier to the Lord at the market where they got their food, the reason why they weren't stopping and talking to folks about the, 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 the truth of salvation to others on their way back is because they were just focused 
on their own physical needs. That's all they cared about. Can I tell you today that the reason why most Christians do not concern themselves with the harvest that's ready to be gleaned for the Savior, it isn't because they don't care about the harvest. It's that their attention is not on a spiritual field. It's on a physical field. Boy, they've got a paycheck to make. They've got bills to pay. They've got family to spend time with. They've got this meal to prepare or or this bill to to tend to. Uh, They've got this work affair thing going on and this schedule to keep. And it isn't that they don't care about souls. It isn't that they don't care about others. It's that their attention just flat out isn't on it. It's on these other things. It's about paying our way through life. And Jesus, when He gave His famous Sermon on the Mount, He told His disciples, He said, Do not pay attention to the temporary physical. I will take care of those things if you will first take care of my kingdom. Look at Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat? In the body than raiment or clothing? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father... Feedeth them, are ye not much better than they? Hey, do you see birds planting seeds and reaping a harvest? Do you see birds going to work and getting a paycheck and, 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 and wringing their hands over how they're going to pay their bills? No, they trust in God to take care of them. Are you not more important than some bird? 27. Which of you, by, uh, by taking thought, can add one uh, cubit unto his stature? And wh- uh, why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory, Solomon the richest man ever to live, was not arrayed, was not beautified, was not made in the beauty like one of these. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Take therefore no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. What's it saying here? He's saying, if you'll take care of my kingdom, I'll take care of your needs. Let me say that again. If you'll take care of my kingdom... I'll take care of your needs. You know, I think a reason why a lot of folks are not concerned about the kingdom of God is they're too concerned about building their own personal kingdom. Now, that's not a popular sermon to preach this morning. It's not a popular sermon. But I have found it to be true that most folks really aren't preoccupied with Christ's kingdom because they're just preoccupied with their own kingdom. As a young man, I was blown away by this. Early on in our uh, ministry at Granite Baptist Church, we would have a big soul-winning push, a big push to pass out pamphlets and flyers uh, to promote our church and the gospel. We'd meet on, meet on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. like we do here. And boy, we would push and push and push for weeks. And sometimes we'd have 15, 20, 30 people show up. It was a larger ministry than this one. And I'd think, boy, that's great. 15, 20, 30 people. And I remember they got this bright idea of starting a little league soccer league at the church. And that was going to meet Saturday at 2 p.m. And I remember the first day they had it, the parking lot was packed. Hundreds of people showed up for it. And I felt my blood begin to boil. And I felt like I was getting angry for God. 
How come folks can't clear their schedule to hand out a gospel track, but when their kids are playing soccer, all of a sudden the schedule's freed up? How come that's the case? But you know, I have found that that wasn't just true at Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie, Maryland. It wasn't just people in Baltimore who struggle with that. It's people every church I've ever been a part of, including this one. We have, folks, can we be honest? We have time for what we want to have time for. We, we will do what we want to do. We will do what we want to do. Now, I get Saturday morning doesn't work for everybody. Tuesday evening doesn't work for everybody. You may not be able to show up at those two times and be involved in our church's outreach. But you can hand out gospel tracts and you can share the love of Jesus with the world around you. Don't be, preoccup- don't be so preoccupied with taking care of your own kingdom that you're going to neglect the kingdom of God. One day when we get to heaven, one day when we get to heaven, I think every one of you will come to me and you'll say, Pastor, I didn't always listen, but thank you for pushing me on this. Pastor, I wish you would have pushed me harder. Nobody's going to get to heaven and say, man, I really wish you hadn't pushed me so hard. Not one person. You're going to drop your head and say, boy, now I have perspective I didn't have before. The disciples weren't concerned about the woman at the well or the Samaritans in general. They were concerned about their bellies. They were consider, concerned about their fleshly needs. Number two, notice the word passion. Turn back to John chapter 4 and verse number 32. John 4.32. So the disciples push him. Jesus, eat your, eat your big, big Mac and fries. Eat this fish we brought you from the market. And Jesus says, look, I, I've already eaten. I'm, I'm eating a different type of meal. Look at verse 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat, here's his passion, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You know what Jesus was really saying here? He was saying, I have no time to eat right now. I don't have any time to eat. I have work to do. Eating is temporal, but the soul of humanity, the souls of humanity, that is eternal. That food will come and go. I can eat now. I can eat later. I understand I've got to eat to live, but I'm not going to live to eat. I'm going to live to do the work of Him that sent me. What was Jesus' passion? What was the passion of our Savior? You know what it was? It was the souls of mankind. That was the passion of Jesus. For three and a half years, Jesus had a public ministry. And you know what He did? He walked around and He forewent everything. Listen, He took it to such an extreme that Jesus was homeless. He was homeless. He didn't work a job. He didn't want to be tied down to anything. He went and He worked and He worked and He worked. And what was His work? It was the eternal souls of mankind. Did Jesus eat? Of course He did. Did He sleep? Yes, He did. Did He break away from it all and and, and, and have times with His family or His disciples? Occasionally, He did all those things. But those things were secondary to His main passion. What was that? It was the souls of humanity. Yes, He would heal the leper's skin, but not without saving His soul. He would raise the dead back to life, but not without giving eternal life to the soul. Jesus would touch and heal the eyes of the blind, but first, 
He would provide sight to their eternal eyes. Much mission work that's done in this world is humanitarian in nature. Was Jesus a humanitarian? Yes, He was. But beyond being a humanitarian, Jesus was what I'll label an eternitarian. An eternitarian. He was more concerned about someone's spiritual soul and its destination than He was over the the human condition. Listen, I'm all for an organization that wants to, 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 to provide meals to the hungry. I think it's great. I'm all for people that send doctors to the other side of the world and provide medical help to those that don't have it. I think it's great. But look, if someone's physical body dies from hunger or, 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 or malaria, but their eternal soul gets to go to heaven for eternity, that sure is more important, isn't it? I would rather someone die hungry and go to heaven than die with a full belly and split hell wide open because they never put their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, if you can do both, do both. But the eternal soul is what matters. And Jesus gave Himself to seeing the souls of people saved. Raise your hand this morning if you want to be a disciple of Christ. Hold it up there. Don't be shy. I want to be a disciple of Christ. My hand's up. You want to be a Christian. You know you can be saved without being a Christian? Being a Christian means you act like Christ. I don't always act like Christ. I'm not always a Christian, but I am always saved. You want to be a disciple of Christ? Then you've got to take on His passion. What was His passion? It was the souls of man. It was the souls of man. How many of you here have ever seen the, the movie, The Passion of Christ? You've seen that? Some of you have, some of you haven't. Um, why did Jesus die? Why did He die? Did He die just because... He was hated and died against His will. Jesus was born so that He would die. That was the whole reason why He came. But why did He die? He died for me. He died for you. He died for the, I don't know, 13 to 20 billion people who've ever lived on planet Earth. You think Jesus cares about them? You think He loves them? Now, I want to say here, I want to state the obvious. Most people don't share Jesus with the world around them because they just flat out don't know how to do it. Can I tell you, it's not really that complicated to do. How many of you know what Jesus did to save you? You know what Jesus did to save you? You think you can tell that story to the people around you? Think you can do that? Look, you may not know how to go through the Romans road. You may not even know what that is. You may not know how to answer the question of a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon who want to argue with you. Don't argue with them anyway. But you know what you can do? You can shoot the gospel gun. You can say, I was a sinner. Hopelessly bound for hell. And the love of Jesus reached down. Forgave me my sin. Jesus died for me, and I put my faith in Jesus. Can you share that with the people around you? Some of you here are really uncomfortable even doing that. And you need to grow a little bit more in the Lord before you can do that. Look, I'm not here to pick up a single stone and throw it at any one person. But I'm here to tell you this. You can take a gospel track, a gospel invitation, and you can say, read these verses on the back. 
Read the verses inside of here. And if you don't understand this, can my pastor come by and see you? Can one of the deacons from my church come by and see you? Hey, would you come to church with me so you can hear the greatest news ever? Boy, one day their soul is going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. They're white. The fields are white under harvest. Are we ready to help them find their way to the truth? Number three, notice the word procrastination. Look at John chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus is instructing the disciples here. And he says to them, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Look, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Now that is a peculiar verse. I looked at a lot of pictures this week of wheat fields. In all stages. You know what I never saw one time? I never saw a white wheat field. No matter how ripe the wheat was. Now, I read one thing that said, if you look at it just the right angle, when it's gold, you might be able to see a little bit of white. I'm thinking, I don't think that's what that means. So, I did some digging. And I found some really interesting stuff. Some of you may think that what I'm going to share is a stretch. And so I'll tell you this. I'm not going to stand by what I'm about to say as though it's gospel truth. But I will float it out there as a possibility. Okay? I want you to imagine that between the well where Jesus was standing with his disciples and the city of Samaria, that in between Jesus and that city there were wheat fields. And if you know the time of the year of Passover, those wheat fields would not have been ready to be uh, 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 reaped or to be uh, go out there and, and bring in the wheat. It would have still been growing and being prepared. According to this passage, it was a four-month process, and in that area of the world, it is a four-month process. Jesus is standing there. He had planted one seed of the gospel inside the heart of this woman, and that one seed was planted. She went into the city of Samaria, left her water park, started started telling everybody and look as she was telling them the people from the city began to walk out of the city and through the wheat fields to Jesus and as they're coming to Jesus through the wheat fields he says don't say there are four months to harvest look now the fields are white here come the people passing through the laborers of that day history tells us would have worn the manual laborers would have worn a white work garment Here came the laborers wearing white, walking through these fields that weren't quite ready. And Jesus says, don't stay there for months. I planted the seed just a couple of hours ago. And here comes the harvest, boys. Here it comes. They're walking through the wheat fields. And boy, they are ready. And if you read on in John, you find that they sat there and Jesus would teach and preach to them for several days. And the people of Samaria, whose souls had been prepared and ready, put their faith and trust in Jesus. You know, the truth is that as human beings, we are procrastinators. How many of you have school-age children that are given projects? How many of you remember your days in high school or college? I can remember in college I would uh, be given a book to read and a paper to write. And I was given it to at the beginning of the semester and told it's due at the end of the semester. You know what this guy would do? I worked a full-time job and I had plenty of chances to read to and from work. Worked an hour from the college. And you know what I'd do on the way to and from work? I'd sleep. 
Because I was tired. Sometimes I'd read a book, bring a book and I'd get warm in the car and I'd fall asleep trying to read the book. But, you know, I'd put it off and put it off and put it off. And I'd have a 250-page book I had to read and a three-page paper I'd have to write. And it would be the day before it was due. And I'd get home from work at 11 o'clock at night. And I would go and I'd get myself a, a gigantic cup of coffee. And I would find the most uncomfortable position, sitting position possible. And I would read and read and read and read and read and read and read all night. And at about 5 in the morning when I finished the book, those listening audio, those were scare quotes. Um, you, know, you know how it is when you're speed reading? You're doing this with your finger and someone comes in and asks you a question and your finger just keeps on going. <laughs> that was speed reading. And I'd get to the end of the book and I would write up my three-page paper and I would have my roommate who didn't know anything about English proofread it. And then I'd turn it in and get a C-minus C- on it. Uh, one church that was interested in hiring me as their pastor wanted my transcripts. This would have been a while back. And so uh, I contacted my college and I got them to send me my transcripts. And I looked at my grades and I was like, nobody's going to ever, ever hire me. Uh, the deacon board did not look at my transcripts. Glory, hallelujah. Good job, guys. Thank you for not doing that. But I got through and I graduated and I got my degree. Um, procrastination. We are master procrastinators. That's not just me. That's all of us. We're master procrastinators. And you know what? We'll look at the guy on the other side of the cubicle at the job and we'll think, yeah, I know he needs the gospel, but I'll tell him later. We'll go to a family reunion and God's laid it on our heart to share the gospel, not to be a jerk, not to be pushy, not to ramrod it down people's throats, but to share the gospel with a loved one and, and ask God to give us that right moment. And we'll go reunion after reunion after reunion. That neighbor that we were supposed to invite to the Easter service four years ago and three years ago and two years ago, we just can't quite work up the nerve to walk over with an invitation and say, hey, why don't you come this year? And, and, and why? Because we're scared of what they're going to think of us and, and how that's going to hurt us. And we put it off and we put it off and we put it off. One day, you're not going to be able to put it off any longer. Jesus said, don't wait four months. Boy, the harvest is ready right now. All over the town of Stratford and beyond. The greater area, the city you live in, the city you work in, the people that you interact with, the people who you know within your world are not saved. They're dealing with things that are very private in nature that you may not know about. And God is preparing their heart so that you can tell them about Jesus. Boy, don't put that off. Where God's Spirit leads you, you share, you be concerned. Don't wait the four months. Don't wait till it's too late. The fields are ready and to harvest. Number four, notice the word perspective. Perspective. Look at John 4, verse 36. It says there, And he that reapeth receiveth wages. You know what God's calling you you and me to do? He's calling us to get up off our backside, our, our comfy chairs inside of his church building and inside of his uh, uh, banquet hall, proverbial banquet hall, and living the easy Christian life. He's calling us to get up and go to work. That's what he's calling us to do. Go to work. You know what a lot of Christians are? They're Christian welfare cases. Ouch. When we come to church, we're gonna, we're gonna get, we're gonna get a spiritual check from the preaching of God's word and leave a little bit richer spiritually. 
We're going to open up the Bible on Monday morning and we're going to read and we're going to be more blessed spiritually. And we take and we take and we take and we take and we take. But we're not contributing to the kingdom of God ourselves. We're just taking and taking and taking and taking and taking. Boy, what a, what a horrible way to live the Christian life. Listen, I love the Bible. I love it dearly and I read it regularly. I read it daily. I love this book. I pray every day and I walk with God every day. And I won't say that to brag. I'm your pastor. You, that, that's the least that you expect out of me. But can I tell you this? If I read this book each day for what I can get out of it so that I can be a better person and that I can be a better husband and I can be a better father and I can be a better pastor and it's all about me, 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 me and it's not about Lord give Give me something to give to others. Give me something to help others. Give me something to be a better person, not so that I will have a better name, but Lord, so that my scope of influence and help can reach the world around me. Hey, my neighbor Matt that's lost, he needs Jesus and I need God to show me a way to reach into his atheist heart and share the love of Jesus with him. The other neighbors around me that keep their distance and don't want to talk to me, God needs to show me how I can help them. The person who cuts my hair the water shop. They need Jesus. The, the, the person at the cash register at the grocery store, they need Jesus. Uh, if you work a job in the work world, they need Jesus. And you know what? You go into His field and you do His work and God promises that if you do His work, He's going to pay you with eternal wages. Not a paycheck on earth. A paycheck in heaven. Turn over with me, if you will, to, um, uh, let's see here. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul is writing a letter to the church of Thessalonica. And um, uh, the city of Thessalonica, the church that was in Thessalonica, that's why it's called Thessalonians. And they have really blossomed and grown as Christians. And Paul says to them, listen, you all who are my converts, who I share the, the light of Jesus into your life, you all are my reward. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy? Look here, or crown of rejoicing. And not, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? What's he saying here? One day I'm going to be given rewards in heaven. My rewards in heaven are going to be you. It's going to be you. One day it's going to be made known in heaven. The eternal work of sharing the light of Jesus with others. One day, Christian, you contributed to seeing someone come to the salvation of the gospel. God is going to reward you for that. Turn over to Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. I'm almost done. Daniel chapter 12 verse number 3. All the way back in the book of Daniel. Daniel was key in giving some revelations of things that would come. And some of those things haven't even happened yet. But Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. We're given a, a, a glimpse into what it's going to be like in heaven one day. When we're, we stand before God at the judgment seat and we... Answer to him for our lives. Look here. It says in Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. I'm going to begin reading. It says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Turn many to righteousness. You know what that means? You're sharing the light of the gospel with people. You will one day, if you do that, you will one day be a star in heaven. A star in heaven. Who are the famous people in heaven going to be? Those who are most passionate about what Jesus was passionate about, the relationship of others with Him, and seeing people come to Jesus. 
Number five, and lastly, notice the word partnership. Turn back over to John chapter 4, verse 37. We'll finish here. I'm almost done. John chapter 4, verse 37. And herein is the saying true. One soweth, and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. You know what that means? This is a team effort. Team effort. When I knock on someone's door, and I don't know that person, or I meet someone on the sidewalk, or I meet someone at the mechanic shop, and I strike up a conversation with them, and I get to share with them the gospel, and they repent uh, uh, from their unbelief and put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them, you know what I'm doing? I'm reaching up on a fruit tree, and I'm picking a ripe apple. Okay? I didn't plant the seed. I didn't water the seed. I just reached up and picked the fruit. Just reached up and picked the fruit. Sometimes when I go out and give the gospel, I'm planting seeds. Sometimes I'm watering seeds. Sometimes I'm getting to reap the harvest. Boy, I tell you what, what happens in Christianity. The one who reaps the harvest oftentimes brags as though he did all the work. You know what? It's a team effort. It's a team effort. Even with Jesus, it was a team effort. What did he do? He told this woman at this well, he said, drink of the living water and you'll never thirst again. He put one seed in her heart. What did she do? She put her water down, water bot down. She got a seed of the gospel, seeds of the gospel. She ran into Samaria and she just started throwing them everywhere. Hey, come see a man that told me everything I did. Is this not the Christ? Is this not the Son of God? And you know what? Here she is throwing out the seed and, and planting these seeds and out come a, a multitude of people to Jesus and they sit down and because she planted the seeds, he got to reap the harvest. Boy, it's a team effort. I think with Christians, and those of you here today that are active sowners, you really need to hear me say this. I think as Christians, sometimes we don't see the harvest uh, uh, right away, and we think, am I wasting my time? Am I really making a difference? You, you, are, you may just be busy planting seeds, that years later someone else is going to get to reap the harvest. One of the vice presidents of the Bible college I attended, his testimony is extremely powerful. In the 1970s, he was a hippie, long-haired hippie on the campus of the University of Tennessee. He was attending an anti-Vietnam protest there on the campus. And some Christian man from the Gideon or uh, Gideon International, the Bible company, was passing out New Testaments all over the University of Tennessee during this 70s anti-Vietnam War protest. And uh, uh, so passing out the New Testaments and found Bob is the guy's name and gave Bob a New Testament. And he looked at it and he kind of scoffed and he stuck it in his back pocket and he went about shaking his sign and yelling up all kind of obscenities. And, and he got back to his dorm room that night and he laid it up on top of his uh, of his of his dresser or rather the uh, that that thing you put you hang your clothes in what's that not closet but that stands out armoire there it is okay put it on top of his armoire and he left it there several months later he was going through a very broken time in his life and he's laying there on his dorm bed grown man he's crying tears running down his cheeks into his ears and he looks up and hanging off the edge of his armoire from his bed he sees that new testament he reaches up 
And he picks up that New Testament and he begins to read in the inside fly of that New Testament Bible verses that share with him that he's a sinner and that Jesus has died on the cross for him. At the bottom of that page is a prayer. He gets down on his knees with tears running down his cheeks and he prays and he asks Jesus Christ to save him. Somebody went into the the lion's den of a Vietnam protest and bravely passed out New Testaments. Probably went home that day and thought, I don't know that that made a difference. Those nasty people probably tore those things up and threw them away. But that man now pastors a church in Memphis, Tennessee and sees hundreds of people saved every year. Because that man, that man working for Gideon was willing to do work where he would never see directly the fruit. Hey, listen. Next week with our missions conference, you're going to be challenged to open up your wallet and give to our missions program so that we can faithfully support our missionaries. You're going to drop that money in the plate for the next weeks and months to come, years to come. You may not see the direct benefit of it here, but you get to heaven one day and God's going to show you a Bob Hooker who got saved. Trained men and women to be Preachers and pastors. Went to pastor himself. Folks like that all over the world because you were faithful in giving. The fields are wide under harvest at work. They're wide under harvest around the world. Are you procrastinating or are you taking on the passion of Christ? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. I didn't directly give an appeal to the gospel this morning, but I will say this. If you're here and you've not put your faith in Jesus to save you, You've not done what Bob did there at the University of Tennessee and come to a place of realization that you're a sinner in need of Jesus Christ to rescue you, save you, spare you from the consequences of sin. My question to you is this, what are you waiting for? Why not today? Why not right now? Why not set aside your pride and and put on the garment of humility and just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Why not trust Him to get you to heaven instead of trusting in yourself? There were two men on the cross next to Jesus the day He died. One had his faith and weight in himself and said, If you really are who you say you are, come down off this tree and take me with you. I believe that attitude represents a lot of people. I don't need you, Jesus. I can do it myself. Or, Jesus, I need you, but I'm going to do it with you. No, no, Jesus said, I don't need your help. And I don't need you to trust in you. I need you to trust in me. The other man rebuked his buddy then looked at Jesus and said, will you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? You know what that prayer was? That was an expression of faith in his heart. And he wants you to do the same thing today. Jesus turned to the man and said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That man didn't have any good works to offer, but he did have his faith. And Jesus wants your faith. How many here today say, Pastor, there was a day and time in my heart and my life where I no 